This week's episode of Motherfuck Lore is brought to you by the show supporters and Patreon. If you don't like the idea of a monthly track debit coming out of your account, you can subscribe now to a single yearly payment, in which you will get a 16% discount. Check us out on patreon.com forward slash Tarak to find out more. And now, the show. From the Headstuff Podcast Network, welcome to Motherfuck Lore, a podcast about words, Irish, Irish words, and words from Ireland. I am Tara Crochet. I'm Pather Quivonic. I'm Clodagh McGinley. How are you all keeping on this beautiful September afternoon? Is it beautiful? Pretty good. It's all right. It's a bit grey, isn't it? It's murky. It's a little bit grim. It is a grey September time, and especially observers of American politics, because we recently lost a giant of the American judicial system. Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yeah, yeah, a titan of the American judicial system, the last bastion of, of, of liberal hope uh, mm. on the Supreme Court. And, and you know, her death has sort of exposed this idea that, well, you know, what's good enough for the goose is not, in fact, good enough for the gander. And mm. uh, a Republican-dominated Senate will seek to go back on the precedent they set in 2016, showing that they are, in fact, a shower of bastards. Exactly. If only there was some warning to suggest they behave like this. <laughs> Who could have seen this coming? <laughs> I, 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 I kept the receipt for my gentleman's handshake in my pocket, but it appeared to have disappeared. <laughs> it's that's a, it's, a, a it's an oral oral contract. It's not worth the paper it's printed on. That's exactly one of those great moments of accidental wisdom from Samuel Goldwyn. <laughs> the, um, of course, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was one of the most high profile and well loved. Uh, figures in American Jewish life, and she died on the Jewish New Year on Rosh Hashanah five seven eight one. And th- this part of her life and her background was discussed in the context of how America and the world reacted to the news of her passing. And one of the discussions I saw online, and, and many of you may have saw this as well, was people, was people discussing whether it's appropriate to say "rest in peace" or "R.I.P." when a Jew dies. Uh, yeah, I suppose like rest in peace or it's it's more common cousin these days on the Twitter sphere, rest in power. I mean, it kind of, it sort of says your struggle is over, doesn't it? it it's not really indicative of any religious leanings. It's not sort of saying, it's saying that you've got, you've got peace now or you've got rest at least. And after, particularly after a long illness, like with, with um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, it was pancreatic cancer. So after such a long and nasty illness and after having been sick for so long, I think using the word rest, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to ring any alarm bells. It's not, it mm-hmm. doesn't strike me as overly religious. I suppose the key difference is, you know, you have to distinguish that from she's in a better place now, which you kind of go, oh, well, I mean, is she, is that what she believed? Really? This, this is the thing. And some discussions were that there's there are significant differences between Christianity and and Judaism is this is the idea of an afterlife. And this is something that's debated and discussed in in Judaism in a way that whereas Christianity does does probably put a lot of stock in the afterlife and on ideas of the afterlife and on ideas of salvation. And then in, in that context, people were saying, well, is it appropriate to say RIP? And I 
I was very enlightened. I'm a member of uh, of the fan group for the Unorthodox podcast, which is one of my one of my favorite podcasts. Uh, big shout out to Mark, Stephanie, and Leal, um, our American um, equivalents over in New York. So they're our equivalents. Is this is this podcast <laughs> about Judaism? <laughs> <laughs> it's not about Judaism. I have to check the terms but, and conditions. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but in terms of they, um, I think that their take on Jewish culture mm. and how it touches all these different topics, going from science to to literature to current politics to family life, is very similar to how we we approach Irish the Irish language. You're just you're so. just saying all this because they featured you as Gentile of the Week once. They did. I was delighted. I was I was absolutely thrilled that they they did include me to give my feedback on an episode about circumcision, which was which I just thought was absolutely fascinating because, and I, I as many people say, many Irish people who talk about the film Leap Year and how unrealistic it is, and I say the most unrealistic thing about it, it's not about boats landing in Dingle or being redirected there after being coming from Wales, it's that an American girl hooks up with an Irish guy and doesn't say, oh my God, you're not circumcised. I'll take your word for it. (laughs) I have never seen that awful film and I don't plan on watching it ever. It sounds just, I don't even know, like vomit for the eyes. How do you know it's awful if you haven't seen it, Cloda? Well, judging by, judging by these awful reports about it, then, uh, then I think I can make a fairly a fairly safe judgment. Also, actually, before we go further in the conversation, fun fact, or not so fun fact as well, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is going to be the first woman to lie in state ever in the United States. There's never been a woman who has lain in state before. Wow. Really? Which is, yeah, no, apparently so. Like I, Fair enough, I saw it on Twitter earlier, So, but I'm pretty definite it is true. Somebody asked the question and it's just, it's yeah, it's kind of horrifying. It is. It's extraordinary, but it's also because that ties in with the context of whether RIP is appropriate. Because the discussion started by a person sharing a picture of uh, of a Facebook post. There, um, a Gentile friend had said, saying, "You know, don't say RIP. You know, it's offensive to Jewish people." And then, and, and the member of the group was saying, "Are we offended by this? Really? This is news to me." <laughs> And a lot of the conversation subsequent to this was, yes, technically RIP implies a certain view of the afterlife, which isn't necessarily consistent with our views, but I'll take it. It's well intended. What I won't take is singing Amazing Grace outside at a Jewish funeral, because that's because there's hinges and things, ideas like salvation. And I'm not terribly keen on the idea of Lestian state either, which isn't consistent with our burial traditions. Mm. So I've checked it out. Uh, I've thought, checked it out. Ruth Bader Ginsburg will be the first um, person to first woman to lie in state. Um, she will be the second woman to be honoured by lying in the the United States Capitol Rotunda. But there's a difference between lying in state and lying in honour. Uh, lying in state is reserved for um, uh, reserved for the bigwigs. Um, presidents and secretaries of state and honoured politicians and Supreme Court justices. But the only woman who has lain in honour is Rosa Parks, would you believe, when she died in 2005. So that's that's oh. good company for Ruth Bader Ginsburg. That's like, extremely good company. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Wow. And if you don't want to, you know, if you want to just, you know, if you want to read the critics on Leap Year, uh, it's currently at 23% <laughs> favorable on Rotten Tomatoes, which means it's an absolute <laughs> fucking stinker of a film. So you don't need to see it, Chloe. You don't need to see it. It's awful. 
Not a hope, not a hope. Rotten Tomatoes, though, has actually come under a little bit of fire recently. I've seen it on Twitter, like, people saying that it's just full of, like, film stands and that, like, they bump up the ratings for certain films. I thought that was was IMDb and that Rotten Tomatoes is based on reviews, but IMDb gets bombarded. They say the Christopher Nolan films reach the the number one spot before they even get released because he's such a... Jesus Christ. (laughs) A fanboy culture himself. Rotten Tomatoes segregates the, the, the ratings, like, you know, because audiences don't have a clue. For example, for Leap Year, it's 47% favorable among audiences. So, mm, you know, because okay. we have a tendency as humans to be tick, uh, they, they have a separate rating <laughs> for critics. So, I'm, I'm, and as someone who's seen bits and pieces most of Leap Year, um, the critics have it spot on. It's a terrible movie. It sounds horrific. It truly sounds horrific. And I'm not going to assault my eyes by watching it. And just, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy how it even exists still as like a kind of a, like a point of reference. Yeah. Like how is it even? It's a even, cultural like, touchstone because it's so bad. It couldn't even be saved by references to foreskin. Jesus. <laughs> and it's, the, big, the big thing is because Amy Adams is in it and we all love Amy Adams generally, but like she really dropped the ball there. And, you know, I mean, she's, delivered some outstanding she deserved an oscar for enchanted she did she fully did enchanted is a fantastic film it is comic genius it really is she's so versatile she really is she will get her oscar someday she will Mm -hmm. can't believe she doesn't have one god she's been nominated something like five times or something awful she's like forever the bridesmaid never the bride for no apparent reason just the academy being shit (laughs) fucking academy that's the thing like they remember they said that when when Leonardo DiCaprio got his Oscar he said he's been chasing that Oscar longer than his girlfriend's been alive oh god oh Christ oh it hurts because it's true it's (laughs) so true it is scary how he went it really is but yes we're not talking about Leonardo DiCaprio and lamenting not today not today there was very there was an interesting piece of research i think it was in vice or something they said that you know when you know oh, oh, we're not we're not talking about cap we're talking about ruth bader ginsburg <laughs> <laughs> and we we're talking about the idea as we said that in, in this discussion the policing of people saying don't say r.i.p it's not appropriate was one of the interesting things in this discussion online i saw was it was noted that a lot of the policing of the term was actually being done by by gentiles rather than by by jewish people themselves but it was being done allegedly or nominally on behalf of Jewish people. And I thought that this... Yes, so so well-meaning Egypts, basically. Yes, or or atheists with their own agenda, using her using ah. as a political football. Ah, I see where you're going now. I see where you're going now. And Lacuna Day, this will be, be interesting. And then it reminded me, and as, <laughs> as, as all these things move back, it reminded me of discussions that frequently come up in relation to the Irish language, one of which is every now and then, every now and then, maybe as uh, more than perhaps then, can you spell phonetically in English for me, please? One of the questions I get often most is, I'd like to give a secular greeting in Irish other than Dihuit. And I know I've discussed right. this with Una, Una, <laughs> Una Monik, and and I've discussed some other um, online gals, including Oscar and Una Ming, and they often say, well, you can say hi, H-A-I-G-H, and there's others. And then people, and sometimes people will even do a further flex and say, what did people say before Geoquit, back when it was Celtic Druids? Oh, they didn't. They didn't greet each other. <laughs> they just didn't. No time for that. Sure, you're on your chariot. You just raise the finger as you're driving fast. You know, the kind of, the, <laughs> that's the, it. Yeah, the, just the, the full the, full on scan out the chariot, like, well, 
Well, well, That's well. That's what they said. Well. B-H-U-E-L. So That's what Cucullin used to say. <laughs> well. <laughs> well, horse. Scale. <laughs> How's your bollocks? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Christ. Oh, wasn't he from, he was from Dundalk, wasn't he? Or he was from Louth. He was from Dundalk, yeah, my have no more. <laughs> my have no more in the middle of the town. Was that there you have it? But the but this it, it, I suppose the the freak the frequency which we get asked about do it and alternatives to it and maybe how, you know, and it raises a number of questions, particularly about Irish and its relationship with English and the perception that Irish Ir, that the Irish language is maybe um substantially linked to Christianity in general, Catholicism in particular, and that this creates problems for people who are from outside those traditions who want to use it. Yeah, um, Tyler, you, I, you look, as a you're an actual conviction atheist, unlike me, who's kind of spiritually homeless, and you have used this. I'm I'm a humanist. I don't know if I go so far as to say a conviction atheist. I don't like proselytizing. Uh, you don't like talking about your convictions. <laughs> Listen, they've been expunged, so we don't have to talk about them, and that's the great thing. No, I mean, I don't. It's, I don't like this idea of trying to push. I, I think it's bad to push your religion on other people. I think it's mm. equally bad to push your lack of religion on other people. And you could show a little grace, if that term is appropriate at all, uh, when dealing with these sort of things. And I think a lot of the the criticism, like a lot of the questioning of the Irish language, turns into unfounded criticism, because let's put it this way, right? There's a really, really salient point here. It is actually easy to say hello without invoking religion in Irish. You don't have to say diagwit. You don't have to say diasmurgwit. You could say majinwa. You could say hello. You could say hi. You could say well. You could say so many different things, like banachti and leinuri. You don't have to go to religion all the time to say hello. But one of the things that you struggle to say in Irish is, is hopefully, hopefully is is usually lacoon of day or lacuna day as I would tend to I tend to sort of do a bit of queen rue, a little bit of uh, erosion on, on the second syllable of coon of there. That's just, you know, dialectical. Um, so lacuna day. And there's a very, there's there's a scene in, in Des Bishops uh, in the name of the father, you know, where he went to the Gaeltacht to learn Irish, where he's speaking to an older man from, um, he's speaking to an older man from Connemara. And he says, so, so lacuna day means hopefully, and it means with the help of God. What if you have no God? He says, what if you have no religion? Well, then you have no hope. And, and that's a salient point. But it's kind of, the question I always ask is, the person who's criticising Irish for that, like, would you say the same thing about Arabic? Would you say, like, oh, I wish there was a way of, of saying Inshallah without invoking the name of God? I mean, you're just kind of you're just kind of punching down on a minority language, really, uh, and trying to take your hacks. There are ways to get around it. They're a little bit clunky. But, like, honestly, nobody who says lacuna day, meaning hopefully, means, you know, literally with the intercession of the divine this will happen. Mm. It's kind of like, it's yeah, hopefully, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Like and big, big deal about nothing really, to be honest with you. And this is, and it raises questions, obviously the fact that we do have similarly um, religion hiding in plain sight in the English language. Yeah. I mean, Clodagh, if I was to say to you, um, goodbye, I don't think you'd, uh, you'd necessarily see the religion instantly on the surface, would you? No, no, not in the slightest. I think it's it's pretty secular. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's a corruption of God be with you. Um, 
So ha, I just religioned you. <laughs> so it's no better, really. It really is no better. If you want to say better, it's not even that better is the right word. It's no different yeah. than, than the Irish. It's, it's, that's very interesting. Makes sense, though. And there's other words, too. We have fandoms, which people, have, um, people consider themselves fans of certain uh, movements or celebrities and things like that. And fan comes from the Latin word for a shrine. Hmm. And a fanatic is somebody who's with the shrine. Really? Or inspired by the hmm. shrine. And a profane means like outside the shrine or outside the temple. Like profanity nearly. Yeah, that, exactly. That's one. And enthusiastic comes from Greek, meaning kind of the, that, that God is jumping within you or God is leaping within you. And excruciating is a direct reference, reference to the crucifixion. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, the Irish for torture is Kesa and the Irish for crucifixion is Kesa as well. So... Hmm. I mean, and of course, Kesa is not usually. I mean, I wouldn't tend to speak about torture too much, <laughs> but if I was trying to, but if I was trying to say that I was put upon, that I was plagued, that I'm harangued and harassed by all these, like say for example, if all these people who are trying to tell me that Irish is too religious, I would say Tom Tom Kesa Aku, Tom Kesa Aku. They have me tortured. Uh, and yeah, that means they've got me crucified. I'm crucified by all these people telling me there's too much religion in language. <laughs> OMG, iconic. <laughs> but I was reading something really interesting about this, and it's like because it, it's not just endemic to to Irish. And there was a um, there was a tragic plane crash uh, years ago. There was a, a, an Egypt Air flight flying from New York to Cairo, and it, it was it was it went down apparently because of mechanical failure. But the um, the the co pilot was recorded on the black box saying "Tawakaltu um, Allah." I rely on God. And because he said that out loud, the American investigators thought that this was a, a terrorist attack, that mm. the the co-pilot was an Islamic fundamentalist who invoked the name of Allah shortly before the plane crashed. But um, it turns out it's as significant as uh, a non-religious person who uses English saying, Jesus, before the before the plane goes down, you know it's not, it, and and sometimes you just have to accept the fact that there are relics and remnants of religion in language all around the place in 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 every single language, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you're invoking a higher power when you do it, and sometimes that is just quite simply what you say in that language, and if you were learning Arabic, you know that inshallah means hopefully, are all going well. And it doesn't yeah. mean I need the intercession of God to make this happen. And I mean, in all fairness, too, if you were in the middle of a plane crash, like I think I will be praying to every deity above. Like I think I would want a little bit of divine intervention. So <laughs> just a little, just a smidge, just a smidge, you know, just stop the. <laughs> just enough, just enough. <laughs> I know I haven't been very good. <laughs> that reminds me, Kurt Vonnegut had a great line once. He was uh, he was being asked about his own, you know, lack of religion, and he said, and some somebody said, "Well, there's no atheist in a sinking ship." And Kurt Vonnegut said, "For me, that's more of an argument against sinking ships than against atheism." <laughs> mm. Yeah, um, that's it's that old one, isn't it? Of like, um, there's no atheists in in foxholes. And it's like when your when your life is under threat, you might invoke a higher power, but I don't think it's actually indicative of, you know the existence of a higher power it's indicative of the human condition we all want a bit of hope that's that's what we want we want a bit of hope we want to believe that there's something bigger than ourselves and that's mm -hmm. why we project 
when it comes to something like Ruth Bader Ginsburg and people want people want to believe that someone has gone on to a better place. So yeah. there is, I mean, there's a naivety in not being sensitive as to the deceased's beliefs, but we do that all the time. You know, we do that yeah. all the time. I was at a, I was at a, a humanist funeral a while ago and somebody, um, somebody went up to the family and said, well, he's in a better place now. I was like, You've just sat through a 30-minute funeral that talked about how, like, you know, <laughs> the mm. poor man had no belief in the afterlife. <laughs> so, I mean, fair play to the strength of your convictions, like, mahu. <laughs> but it's a, it's a particular thing, and there are some religions, either they have believe in reincarnation or they don't believe specifically in afterlife, they're, they're earthbound fates. And, and yes, and, and the, the whole, yeah. The idea of, of heaven has has its, has its own issues, and there's a an awful trope recently with uh, and with celebrity deaths, especially of maybe sometimes this this um, a cartoon of the day, the day after, maybe of this person being greeted in heaven by somebody they knew, and which has raised its own issues. And then, but what I really hated was they had when a person with a disability has passed away, they have them like they were after Stephen Hawking died, and he he famously struggled with religion. He went on and off about it, and some of the, some of the uh, artwork after he died, then in in comic form in newspapers, had him walking out of his wheelchair, and it was really bad fucking taste. Yeah. That's just like, that's really become a yeah, thing yeah. as well. Like with social media, people doing drawings of people to pay tribute to them, and like it, there is such a fine line because ultimately, whatever you put on social media, like you don't put it there to not be seen. So like you are doing it really for the likes and retweets. Even if you do want to pay tribute to somebody, like there is <sighs> a very that's a very difficult thing. I don't know. I think some of it is genuine naivety, but then. Some of it is. Some, some of it is grifting. It is definitely grifting on death, which is just not. It's, I got to get those sweet, sweet likes. <laughs> it really Gr- grifting is grifting for for fake internet points. Yeah, exactly. It's really. It's and then people will go and sell prints of it, which is even creepier. <laughs> and it, like genuinely, like this is a thing. I remember, like when, um, oh god, what's that poor actor who died recently? He was in. Uh, I can't remember his name, but he was, oh, Chadwick Boseman. Oh, poor man. Yeah. Yeah. And there were several cartoons of him and they were like him in the clouds of heaven meeting Kobe Bryant and Kobe Bryant welcoming him to heaven. And it was just like, oh, sweet Jesus. It was really, really horrifying. Like I would hate to have been his family on social media that day. And it was just so, like for those people, it definitely was about the likes and retweets and whatever. It was just really... Really, really grim. Really grim. It's a really I'll grim. I'll be right back. I'm just putting together a very short list of cartoonists that are allowed to do this shit after I die. <laughs> it's a very short yeah. list. I mean, if you're listening, of course you're listening, Kirsten. You do the art. Um, yeah, you're on the list. Kira, Kira, you're you're on the list. You can do it. Um, nobody sometimes else really. They, nobody else. Sometimes they have a person who a famous person who died being reunited with their spouse, but they actually got remarried in life. And it's like what the, what the hell. <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome to I Know That Face, the only podcast which honours the often underappreciated by the masses work of character actors. My name is Stephen Portia. My name is Andrew Carroll. 
character actor is a supporting actor who specializes in playing unusual, interesting, or eccentric characters. For whatever reason, these performers are less concerned with being stars. Because of that, they often take supporting roles in big movies or only play leads in indie films or TV. They're less concerned with their image. They can bounce between heroes or villains. They're chameleons, and they often disappear into each role. So you might know the faces, but you might not know the names. So subscribe to us wherever you keep subscribed for podcasts and be on the lookout for that to come. And until then, uh, see you later, Cinephiles. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. What I did want to ask you both uh, was, do you think social media has changed the public process of grieving? If you think, I mean, um, I'm just going to put that out there. I mean, she, well, maybe, Claudia, you could maybe offer some observations first. If you think of kind of, um, we, well, 2016 was maybe a key year for it, but maybe was it was it always in this trajectory where the deaths of kind of Heath Ledger and Whitney Houston at the kind of early stage of social media done differently? Yeah, it's a tricky one. It's a tricky one. I mean, I was 14, I think, when Heath Ledger died. So I was only really on social media for maybe like two years previous to that. So like, for me, in a way, it's nearly all I've known that like your grief is very, very public and very like it's I don't know. Again, I think it's such a fine line. I think that like fair enough, you want to pay tribute to somebody and say how much they meant to you as a person, and everything else. But I think that can be done sometimes. I think sometimes people put out content under the guise of grieving, but like really it is just about the content. And I think that has definitely changed how people grieve and how people process bereavement. And it's it's a tricky one because then you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater and say that like there isn't loads of support to be had online for people who are going through bereavement and everything else. Um, if you can't discuss it at all, then like what could you do? So it's... Yeah, it's it's hard for me to say if it's changed or not because it really is, it's kind of all I've known online, like since the whole time that I've been online. And I guess like anything online is public, so it's always going to be, um, it's always going to be put out there with people reading it in mind and then that changes everything. Like if you know you're being perceived, then that changes how you're going to react to something. So it's, it's yeah, it's an interesting question though. I think one of the key things about about social media is is that when people want to share their own thoughts about a death on social media there's kind of there's two schools of thought like there's there's those who want to share what this person meant to me and, and how important they were in my life whether it's a famous person or or someone close to you and then there's the sort of the the breaking news Facebook and Twitter accounts the ones who just want to go Ruth Bader Ginsburg's dead it's like, oh, <laughs> thanks, uh, Associated Press. <laughs> like, cheers. God, yeah. it's so <laughs> I'm delighted grim. that I rely on your Twitter account for this news. <laughs> yeah, I remember actually with coronavirus in the very, 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 very beginning of it. There was, a, I think it's like Global Index or something. I can't remember the exact name of the news outlet, but they would have like an hourly total of like how many cases have been confirmed in China or something ridiculous and how many people were dying minute by minute. And it was just the most spectator maybe spectator index i'm not sure but it was just a really grim way to do things and i think that is definitely just symptomatic of how social media has gone over the years and and yeah like it's definitely there's a massive difference between grieving for someone kind of actively in your life and a loved one versus a celebrity like it's always going to be different yeah i'm and like it's kind of everything is so much more 
it's so exaggerated now, you know, it's not just enough really to say, um, you know, this, I'm, I'm going to miss this part. You know, like Chadwick Boseman, what an absolute tragedy, what an incredibly talented actor and a guy who had done so much for his own community and for others and had been really inspiring to people. But it's not just enough to say it's sad that he's gone. It has to be, oh, he meant the world to me and uh, I can't believe he's not there and heaven is missing an angel and finally and he's reunited with Kobe and all sorts. It, it's just got to go to the next level. Mm-hmm. And at times it's very performative. And, and I think it kind of takes away from the real grief that people are feeling uh, like because he influenced so many people around the world. And it's a little bit, uh, like it just it it kind of makes me ridiculous. feel a bit icky. Literally just that word, like, I mean, it's just icky in general. And it's, um, as you say, it's really performative. And it's just a really strange sense of one-uppery, like, who is grieving more? Because, like, as soon as somebody sees a tweet on their timeline that's more exaggerated or more morose or whatever, they have to then kind of match that energy. And it's like, it's just such a strange way to be. And then when you call people out on it, like I've obviously never called somebody out who's grieving. Of course, you'd never do that. But like, if you do see a tweet that's very obviously performative, if that person gets called out and they say, and you say to them, oh, I mean, that was a little bit over the top, don't you think? Like they would then just play the victim and be like, oh, how dare you? And it's just, it's such a stupid place to be. And it can get really, really frustrating to the point that you'd nearly not be online. I think if you were actually grieving somebody, you'd be so overcome with your own emotion that like dealing with others is just a little bit too much sometimes but then everybody's different I don't know you know I was very sad to say when I mean <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking of maybe people who I was very sad when they passed on um, I have prince be someone but I didn't post a picture of myself you know in, in the park looking at the sun at the moon or something did <laughs> <laughs> um, post a picture of yourself in a, in a raspberry beret with my shirt off <laughs> <laughs> flexing my muscles as I think about how sad I am. Photoshopped purple rain. Yeah, well, there's a, like, yeah, there's some, some, some stuff, but then this, this, so is it, is some of this like the, a modern version of, you know, of Ireland's keening tradition? I think that that's disrespectful to the keening tradition. Those were professionals. <laughs> they were paid to do a job. Actually, I'll be right back. I'm just putting underneath cartoonists, get keeners. <laughs> That sounds like an. Uh, that's what I, I don't want people putting it. If I die tragically, I do not want people putting out performative tweets about how I. I know I influenced a lot of you who are listening right now, an awful lot of you, and I understand that it will be hard for you, but try and refrain from the um, performative tw- tweets and instead pay women to cry nonstop for 36 hours. That that will mm. that will be a fitting tribute to anyone's <laughs> legacy. <laughs> oh so. There's, there's there's a process in some ways when and some Irish poets have kind of anticipated their death and how they'd be remembered and some people find some people find that a little kind of um, self-aggrandizing. Yeats and Kavanaugh basically effectively wrote kind of epitaphy poems. Uh, Kavanaugh famously saying, "Oh, bury me or, or commemorate me where there is water," and that's a large influence on the on the statue by the canal of him now. And Yeats effectively writing his own obituary as a poem. Uh, like a, a few years before, you know, he, he was he was he was self mythologizing long in advance. I'm sure you'd always be self mythologizing. Fucker used to go around with a monocle and a cape. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> be constantly self mythologizing. He quite Cast enjoyed a himself. On life on death. 
horsemen pass by. Who wouldn't enjoy it? Just hang on a second. Just underneath Keening Women, I'm just writing down, get monocle and cape. <laughs> get monocle and cape. Seems but like the a idea laugh. Is that, and it's funny sometimes when you hear people saying, remember me as I am, unsentimentally, you know, don't be, don't be dazzled by my brilliance. You know, remember me as the man. <laughs> that's that's I think. bullshit. Remember me as brilliantly as possible. Do, do not be dazzled by how inadequate I am as a human. Remember what I want you to remember. <laughs> God, I'm not just saying something like that. Remember me unsentimentally. Like, I don't know. It's just really... You'd think that dying would be a fairly fairly good catalyst for people to say that you were nice enough, like, you'd hope. No, t- take it when it comes, like. Take it when it comes. Remember me as sentimentally as you possibly can. Exactly. <laughs> Sentiment, sentimentality is wonderful. Sentimentality is great. Sentimentality is the reason we still have remnants of religion in language. You know, it's the reason we still say goodbye instead of, I don't know, what could you say instead of goodbye? This is the problem with English. Like, you can't say goodbye without invoking um, a deity. But what could you say instead? Like, um, you can't say Godspeed. That's even fucking worse. Uh, (laughs) Cheerio. Peace. Cheerio. You could say cheerio, <laughs> but maybe you don't want to sound like a twat. <laughs> so cheerio, cheerio and pip. toodle pip are out. Keep a stiff upper see, lip. See Best ya. of British luck. You could do see ya. Wouldn't want to be ya. Isn't best of British luck originally kind of like an insult that became kind of misunderstood? Isn't best of British luck? I don't think I've ever heard that phrase. Have you never heard the phrase the best, wishing someone the best of British luck? No. I've Googled it. I've Googled it. It's, uh, okay. um, so it comes from the 1950s and it's oh. supposed to be an expression of encouragement with the ironical implication that you're not going to get the good look. It's not going to be forthcoming. So, oh. um, yeah, from 1957, uh, number two on my list is our Mr. Richard Todd, who has climbed to stardom despite his lack of vital inches. That is very much to his credit. The best of British luck to him. I have nothing against him off screen. I've always found him polite and courteous. Uh, wow. Mm-hmm harsh um also the mr todd in question mr richard todd richard todd was an irish-born uh actor uh, so oh. that was an english an english journalist wishing a short irishman the best of british look because he would never be a real star because he was a short arse <laughs> <laughs> so like, yeah okay so it's good. ironic it's ironic good luck yeah that's that is interesting. <laughs> and, <laughs> speaking of the british do they have different bereavement traditions to ourselves? And a lot of, again, the, how language is incorporated or how religion turns up in languages, it comes up in the ways we, the ways we, 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 we grieve. And I'm thinking, I was thinking recently about when, when, when Neve Lear was on, on, was a guest, she was, after she was the guest on the show, she came on to join us on our Patreon bonus content. We, so we had a, we had a wonderful chat with our, with the motherfucker Patreon supporters in which, and one of the topics that came up was how her English friends see her as the kind of expert on death and bereavement traditions and how funerals aren't a big thing in the English, English community, but they are one of the things where, um, English-born people of Irish heritage feel most Irish because it is a very specifically Irish tradition. It's it's and how how, how much it connects them with Ireland, or even um, like RIP.ie, mm-hmm. a revelation. My mum checks it every single morning, and she oh, feels man. every single morning, and she feels so much more connected to home and what's going on. And like, if someone's died, she'll call her brother who uh, lives in Athlone and be like, "Jimmy, there's a 
a funeral of a mayor you've got to go to. Okay, it's interesting you mentioned to repeat, Ali, because funerals are, are something that's quite different in England. Completely different beats in England. Like, so for me, that that's the thing that is the most different. Um, mm. And it, it came up quite a lot in, in my research. Like, I think the nature of the fact that most people I was speaking to were early 30s, um, like, 20s and early 30s a lot of them lost grandparents and stuff like that and that is the cultural difference and I, I know for me in my experience like my Irish grandma died when I was about 14 15 we were in Ireland at the time because uh, she'd been living with us in England and we were in Ireland and I mean she was buried within three days and people were like Jesus that's a long time <laughs> and, mm. and the morning she died like everyone's at the house people are cleaning people are bringing things around people are doing stuff um, and then last year, my English nan died and she lived with us in England. And it was like a completely different beast. Like people don't even want to talk to you about it in this mm. country. Or like, it's it's like, they're like, oh God, they just don't know what to say or how to do, like how to deal with it. And like, I find that really weird. And it has been a bit of a cultural thing because, because I was brought up with this, like, if you know someone, you go to their funeral yeah. sort of thing. And they don't do that in this country so much like funerals are a lot, a lot smaller and a lot more private and I've really struggled with that because there's been some things where I feel like I should I should go hmm. but I know that actually it wouldn't necessarily be welcomed as much in this this country it's, like it, it is it's really different generally you think of um funerals are not a big deal or they're way over in <laughs> In England, so basically, you got you're either Princess Diana or or Simon Callow in four weddings and a funeral, or you're not, or you're basically like it's a, or, or it's just like a, a, a half hour reception, but, but nipping out of the office for a quick funeral. Isn't isn't part of that the fact that there's such a gap between um, death and burial or death and cremation in Britain? Normally speaking, certainly in England and Wales anyway, I don't know much about the Scottish uh, system, but like normally there's a gap of weeks, isn't there, between a death and a funeral in England? I know that's certainly the case with relatives I've buried uh, over the water, whereas in Ireland it happens while the emotions are raw. Like unless Mm -hmm. there's an autopsy, you're talking to maybe three days max between death and funeral. Like the emotions are really raw and you get the family together and you might wake the dead overnight. The 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 person might lie in repose in their own home. Um and like that's a massive part. Massive part where my wife's from in North County Louds, that's a massive part of the tradition is to is to wake the corpse. Um mm-hmm. and so that you have two days in the person's house and there's there's food there's drink there's chats and cups of tea and remembrances and shared grieving and then and then there's the the slow walk to the to church in the graveyard and so it, it it's all part of the grieving process whereas in other jurisdictions particularly when there's a gap between death and funeral it's not it's not you've grieved you know you've grieved you've done it like so why would you want to rehash that why would you want to go through that again just put the box in the ground and go to the pub. Yeah. I think it must be horrible as well, kind of like, God forbid if your loved one did die, that like, you know, you kind of have to dread the funeral if it's like that big of a gap between them dying and the funeral. I can't imagine having to wait like three weeks to actually bury them or cremate them. Like it just, it really, it creeps me out nearly because like they're still, 
not to be very morbid, but they're still kind of there. Like they're not actually, yeah. there's no finality to it yet. It's kind of, you can't really, there's never closure obviously for bereavement, but like it's, it's just, it adds to it, I think. Yeah. And I, I think like trying to get some semblance of closure is why we have such personal and, and emotional funerals mm. here as well. Like that the grieving process is part of trying to help someone come to terms with it, to let them know that their support networks are around them. And and maybe maybe if you're in England, that happens in and around the death. Maybe that happens in and around the time that the, the, the person is deceased. Um, I don't know. Um, but it certainly doesn't happen in and around the funeral. It's a different ballgame because funeral is so, so long after. And, you know, we have a lovely, lovely expression, actually, strangely enough, I don't know of many expressions in Irish um, to console the grieving that, that are religious, mm-hmm. you know, I, and I That's don't really, point. I don't think I'd ever say such and such is in a better place or or is with God now. There's obviously, there's the old ones. When you talk about someone, you could say like, er yesh anam, like may may his or her soul be on the right hand of God or laba amas mm-hmm. nave though not to, may they have a bed amongst the saints or you know bed amongst the angels as well. But when you're talking to someone who's just lost someone, um, you go straight up, you shake them in the hand, and you say, ni malim de hribloid. You know, mm-hmm. I don't like your troubles. I'm sorry for your loss. And and it's and it's it's getting right back to the meaning of the words. Like it's not ni malim. It's not I don't like. It's not like I find mm-hmm. your troubles a bit. Eh. Uh, mm. it's it's it is not good with me I share your sadness I share your loss it is also bad for me that you have gone through this and I, I'm here with you and I, I love it I think it's really 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 that's nice. a really good point mm. because I think we think when people think and they think yes or like or something or anything, <laughs> as opposed to they, they, they connect it to those things and saying I don't like your trouble it I don't and particularly maybe people who aren't who aren't very familiar with Irish, who if they if they get that at the moment of bereavement, might mightn't get it straight away with the idea. Yes, it's it's you know it's it, it's not good with me, and yeah. that I'm actually with you at this bad time. And yes, and that, that, this is one of those moments when that that, that kind of passive voice and or after <laughs> in Irish works out very well. Yeah, it does. Like ni mailim de riblad is is donalum de vrish. That's that's my favorite. Is donalum de vrish. Like I I feel it bad. Your loss. What has broken you is bad with me as well. And I just, I think it's nice. it's empathetic. It's nice. It's not religious. It's quite humanist. It's very much focused on the person right in front of you. You know, you you go up to the top of the church and you shake their hand. You look them in the eye and you just go, this is shit. And I think it's shit as well. And I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. But like, like even in English, when you say I'm sorry for your troubles, you're not saying sorry for you like you're saying i am sorry i feel sorrow i am sorrowful for your loss and that's that's just basic human empathy you don't need religion for that i mean so if it helps you great but you don't need it and if you want to say hello without invoking the name of god just fucking say hello <laughs> just say whatever you want nobody nobody cares nobody cares if you say to you nobody's gonna go oh Christian, are we? <laughs> there you are. Mm. And on that note, <laughs> <laughs> it's a slog, <laughs> which is that note, not religious at all. <laughs> on that note, thank you both very much for joining me for that for this discussion. And I think I think hopefully our listeners find it very enlightening as as much as I have. And 
whether as 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 Dave Allen, a famous atheist who used to describe himself as an atheist, thank God would say, uh, <laughs> may, yeah, at the end of his show, he ended with "May your God go with you," which I thought was a nice way of um, of leaving a door open for people who who interpret that more differently. And so, until next time, slant from me. Slant from me. Slant from me. Hi, Patter here. Thanks for listening. Uh, thanks, as always, to Kirsten for doing the amazing artwork, and to Brian for producing. Motherfucklore is a product of the Headstuff Podcast Network and comes out every Friday. You can give us feedback on motherfucklore at headstuff.org. And we have a Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Derek, if you want to get involved in exclusive chats, Q&As, get access to content that nobody else can, even get discounts for the amazing work that some of our content creators are making at the moment. Um, so that's patreon.com forward slash Derek. And otherwise, we'll see you next Friday. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network. I just think of all those people out there punching punching their hats at the thought that Dara Couchet has his own show. <laughs>